It's a pretty good time to be a Liverpool fan, despite the imminent departure of living legend Jurgen Klopp. The Reds managed to win the Carabao Cup final with a team full of hitherto unheralded children that make Harvey Elliott look like a grizzled veteran. Some of those wonder kids starred in the FA Cup win over Southampton in midweek. The Reds got a kind draw in the Europa League and they're still in the mix for the Premier League title despite growing pressure from both Manchester City and Arsenal. Will Klopp's long goodbye be full of glory or will it be something of a damp squib? I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. No goodbyes necessary for our top-tipping team as we have them nailed down to absurdly long and uncompetitive contracts, starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark, Liverpool go to Forest this weekend. That feels to me... Maybe it's just the pessimistic Liverpool fan I've been talking, but it feels to me like a game that's far trickier than the odds would suggest. Um, I can certainly understand that view, Kev, especially coming off what's been quite a, a tiring and, and taxing week, going 120 minutes against Chelsea at Wembley with all the injuries incurred before and, and during that game, and then having to play Southampton just a, a couple of days later with a, what seemed like an under-23 side for the most part. Um yeah, I mean, big credit to, to Liverpool for their resilience and their character. Uh, big credit to the, the youngsters to come through and and kind of keep going, believing and kind of executing the game plan. And um, Liverpool come through this week with, you know, top marks, really. Uh, one trophy in the cabinet and, and, as you say, three more to play for. Uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't get at least one more piece of silverware between now and May, possibly more. But, um, yeah, I mean, Klopp said midweek that before the Southampton game, the injury situation hadn't really changed. Uh, we know that Gravenberg was the latest to to be ruled out, but Darwin, Salah and Shoboslai were, were touch and go for Southampton. And I think most people presumed none of those three would have featured against Saints. Um, he will be prioritising this match away at Forest um, and the Premier League. So I wasn't too surprised at all to see neither of those three feature. Um, and I think Liverpool will be stronger this weekend. Uh, and for that reason, I do want to be with Liverpool. Um, if you look at a potential starting eleven, um, I've kind of made a few notes. I believe it could be this, and it's very strong. It's Keller and Goal, Bradley, Van Dijk, Canate, Robertson, Endo, McAllister, Shoboslai, Salah, Darwin, Diaz. That's not far off your best eleven, despite all the injuries. Um, it's pretty formidable. I think it commands huge respect, and that's why Liverpool are the price they are. This is a team who've won 18 of 26 Premier League games already. If you dig a little bit deeper, exclude the top seven, they have won 16 games from 18 in the Premier League, drawing the other two. One was away at Luton, which they dominated, and one was away against Chelsea on the opening day of the season. They've already won at Wolves, Newcastle, Palace, Bournemouth, Brentford, Burnley and Sheffield United. Yeah, sure, some of those victories weren't completely convincing, but even still, they're a winning machine at the minute. And, and price-wise, they're 166 at Brentford, 150 at Palace. So I think 158-ish at Forest feels, feels kind of fair, actually. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be backing them at that kind of price. I believe there's, it's well worth having a swing at a much bigger price. Um, you can almost double the, the Liverpool price and some by backing Liverpool to win and both teams to score. Because I think defensively, firstly with Forest, there, there absolutely are holes to exploit there. Nuno seems reluctant to use a back three as he did successfully at Wolves. He hasn't done so yet at, at Forest and that means 
last week he he fielded Musa Neokate, a left back, um, out of position, which was kind of confusing when you got Harry Tuffalo on the bench. Um, you know, Neokate was was skinned by Leon Bailey quite consi- consistently, so it wasn't a huge surprise when Tuffalo came off the bench. You know, if 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 Nuno goes down that same route and Salah's fit and available, that's a that's a mismatch, really. So, um, you know, I don't hold out too much hope for Forrest keeping Liverpool out. They've got plenty of injuries defensively. They've uh, had to do a lot of reshuffling themselves. It's just four clean sheets all season. So, look, I think Liverpool will score here. It's just how many. I think they can at least score a couple. But going forward, Forrest, I think, do offer plenty of threat, especially at the city ground. Awani, Alanga, Gibbs-White, Hudson-Odoi, they're all playing pretty well at the minute. Forrest are uh, going forward with, with confidence. Um, I think they'll relish the counter-attacking opportunities that might arise in this fixture too. Um, they've actually scored at least twice in seven of the last nine Premier League games, failing to score once in 11 Premier League games. And if you look at those 11 games, they have been beaten by Spurs, Arsenal, Newcastle and Villa. And they've conceded twice or more in each of those defeats. But they have scored in three of those four losses as well. They've also turned over Man United in that sample. I'm excluding the FA Cup because uh, for obvious reasons. But, you know, Forest have been scoring fairly freely. But when stepping up in class, they do tend to get out, you know, exposed. So I do think a Forest goal in defeat is, is pretty plausible for me. And I think the leap from about 158 to 270 on the sports book does appeal there. It will be bigger on the exchange closer to kickoff. So, um, you know, the safer selection, I think, is Liverpool to win an over one and a half goals. But, um, you know, I can see Liverpool scoring at least twice here. But, you know, I don't think anyone would be kind of backing Liverpool with confidence to keep Forrest out at, at those kind of prices. So, um, yeah, that's the selection. 2.7 on the sports book for Liverpool to win and both teams to score. Trader, tipster and a man whose side hustle as a Justin Timberlake impersonator is starting to really pick up now that the great man has made his comeback. Emmett O'Keefe is with us. Emmett Forrest have lost a lot of home games this term, but as Mark has alluded to, they've got an attacking unit that can be a handful and they do click at times. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't... I didn't forecast Nuno's arrival turning Forrest into the great entertainers of the Premier League. But that's that's <laughs> don't think anybody did, did they? No, like because they were averaging one one goal through seventeen matches under Steve Cooper, they were averaging one goal score per game. Um, so like obviously struggling in attack, but since as as because as, as, as Mark was alluding to there, since since Nuno's come in, they're averaging like seventeen goals in nine matches. They've had seventeen goals in nine matches, so averaging nearly nearly two goals scored per game, while also conceding eighteen goals in those nine matches. So two goals a game. So the far, Forest matches are basically are, are, are averaging clo- close to four four goals per match and against. And if the, I'd be reluctant to get involved in a kind of a match odds or that end of things, just because the just because because of the doubts around the, the Liverpool players, but all all what we've seen from Forrest and what we've seen from Liverpool point to a really high scoring game the only angle I thought would be interesting at a slightly bigger price is it just coming to exploit some of Forrest's kind of weakness at defending set pieces they've they've, they've conceded by far the more, most goals from set pieces this season and as, as we know obviously Liverpool have a player who's in 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 rare form for, um, for, for scoring from set plays Van Dijk obviously scored, scored against Luton had a disallowed goal in, in normal time against Chelsea before scoring from ahead before scoring for scoring from ahead or an extra time he's around seven to one to, to, to score any time um on the sports book I'd say you might be able to get bigger on the exchange or we should have um to, to score header prices up as well if, if, you, if you want to get a slight slight enhancement on that on an eight-time goal score that's probably the way the way I'd look and last but not least Sky Sports Lewis Jones with us once again Lewis you were particularly taken by Van Dyke's performance in that League Cup final against Chelsea 
Yes, Kev. Yeah, it's a. Um, I've been on. I was on the player ratings duty actually for Sky, so filing um, uh, copy on Sunday, and I was very close to giving him a ten out of ten, and it's rarely seen a, a ten out of ten. I think it's happened once before in my um, uh, journalistic career when Tom Heaton managed to keep a clean sheet for Burnley at Manchester United that finished nil nil. Man United had thirty seven shots, and he uh, he. <laughs> Eaton made uh, 11 saves, and I swear nearly all of them were world-class. I just it's a, it's a, It was an incredible performance. So Van Dyke wasn't quite at Tom Heaton levels, but he was, uh, yeah, imperious. And he's just been sensational this season. I think he's been the reason why Liverpool are um, forging sort of towards that title. I mean, there's been, talk, been big talk of the midfield revamp being the key to Liverpool's improvement, but... I think it's all about Van Dijk being back to his imperious best, actually. He can, he can take on any striker for pace or power, and that could be seen through the fact he's only been dribbled past once um, in 24 games uh, in the Premier League this season, which is the best record of any outfield player. And I suppose that gives a badge of honour to uh, Zeki Amdouni for Burnley there, who managed to do it in the recent game at Anfield. Well, so Burnley well, have won something then. Exactly. Bad, a badge of honour and something to uh, to hold their season up with, I think. Um yeah, and just having such a man mountain at the heart of the fence just breathes so much confidence to the midfield to go and press aggressively. Um, they, they sort of know that Van Dyke is the, the best insurance policy around, I'd say. And I, I would argue that's why the, the main reason why Liverpool's kids came in at the weekend and, and flourished in both games, actually, at Southampton. Because I, th I think if he wasn't playing, uh, I don't think they would have played with as, as much confidence if Van Dyke um, wasn't there. And I'd actually argue if Van Dyke wasn't there in both those games, against um, Chelsea and then Southampton. I think Liverpool might have lost both those games, in fact. So I think they were very, they were very close games, actually, both of them. So he's he's that vital. And he sh that's shown through the with and without numbers um, with Van Dijk. Since the start of the 18-19 season, Liverpool's win percent with him starting is 73% and without him is 51%. And that's from a sample size of 216 games. So we can we can put a lot of... Um, put a lot of... Um, credence in that argument and they've only lost one game in the Premier League at Anfield from 86 matches when Van Dyke started which is just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous isn't it um that's absurd that, isn't it really? it is it is and I think punters have started to realize he's banging line for the PFA player of the year this year um the market's been quite slow to react to, to this uh market the, well, the traders have been slow to react to this market which is always a good sign for people trying to nick a bit of value here and there and he won that award in 2019 and if Liverpool are to win the league, which currently stands at about a 30% probability, then Van Dijk at this stage, I think, is the standout player in that Liverpool team. As the forward line seem to be sharing out the goals this season. Um, and Salah and Nunes have, have been hampered by injury. And obviously, Nunes' inconsistencies are, are well documented. But um, And so, unfortunately, the 50-1 to 1 has gone for Van Dijk to win the PFA Player of the Year, which is a shame. But there's still 12-1 to 1 available on the sportsbook. Um, and I'd argue, if you're looking to back if you think Liverpool are going to get the job done and win the Premier League at um, the odds at the moment are 23 to, to 10 on the sports book, then I think you should um, maybe consider backing Van Dijk at 12 to 1 as well. Well, we know that injury time goals could be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets. And now you've got 90-minute payouts to rescue you if the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands. Your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Fulham on a high after their excellent win at Old Trafford. They're probably just a win or two away from being totally safe. Face a Brighton team that tumbled out of the FA Cup in midweek. 
Emma, I can't get a handle on Brighton at all. They're really good. We know this. But mm, are they declining? What's going on with them? It's a strange old season, I think, for them. Yeah, definitely. It is a strange old season. I like they definitely think the obvious point to make is they have really suffered from injury from playing with from obviously playing with the Europa League, yeah. which which they obviously weren't playing last season. I think it's probably underrated. Like before De Serbi came, you would never have thought that you'd be saying Solly March is one of the best, we'll say one of the maybe best 20 kind of front three players in the league. But under that, that was the stats he's, he's been putting up under De Serbi. Losing, they've had Karim was obviously been at the Asian Cup and he's been in and out this season. Losing him for the rest of the season is obviously, obviously, obviously kind of a massive loss as well. Um, but I just think the market's probably maybe underselling, underselling their chances here. I... Like again, to me, Fulham are nearly a more strange team. The Brighton is that they, under Marco Silva, they they're really they're massively outperforming their um, underlying XG, XG data now for the second season in a row. I think last he doesn't season... think so. Every game he comes out and goes, "I thought we controlled the game. I thought we deserved to win it." Even if they lose like five 0 he comes out and goes, "Well, I thought we were the better team." But that's the thing about managers; like they only want to use XG when it suits them. Like we saw that yeah, under yeah. Sean Dyche had no time for XG at Burnley when they were kind of uh, they were consistently <laughs> outperforming. But now that Everton, they're, they're, they're the kings of outperforming XG at Everton, and uh, Beto and Cavalu and are missing chances for fun. Now he's now he's an XG man. So that's just yeah. that, that's that, that's the way managers managers go. Um, but I. I, I I I just like since just even if you look at it since Christmas like bright uh, by the XG data Brighton are fourth in the league and with playing having that kind of the rest time between games you've clearly seen an uptick in, in their performances even even without Matoma and Fulham are second are, are second from bottom since since Christmas in 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 that XG data I think like. I think it's like it's easy to look good against Man United. I would I wouldn't read read that too too much too much into Fulham's uh, more into, of that in the Sunday show, folks. Yeah, exactly. As as I've kind of the people have kind of as I've mentioned a lot on Twitter, but I've I've kind of said this on previous podcasts. The amount of shots that that United concede and the kind of the way they play, I think it just any team's attack looks good. But also, I think Fulham are missing their most important player here. Yeah, Polina is suspended. And I, I think Brighton can expose kind of the kind of the kind of the gaps being left by his departure way more than Man United did last season. And just when I when I price this up, I Brighton closer to kind of maybe two two thirty eight here, and you're getting around two two point six. So I think they're they're, they're a solid bet at around one point nine one point nine uh, drawn up better. Lewis, I must admit, I had Fulham struggling as part of the relegation battle this season. I thought they really struggled without Mitrovic. I wasn't sure about... Yeah, exactly what Emmett's been saying, actually. They spent a lot of last season overperforming against XG, and you thought, well, that's going to come home to hurt them eventually because they're too open. But they've managed to put enough good performances together and rack up enough points. Yeah, they have. They're a, Fulham are a, a team I can't really get a handle on. I put a lot of um, basis and weight on the expected uh, goals data in my sort of decision making and Fulham even last season were just completely defiant against really poor expected goals against numbers so um yeah they're hard they're hard they're hard thing to, to, to weigh up but I think I've come around to the fact that Marco Silva is the reason why sort of he keeps their head above water I just think he's one of the most I think he's the one of the most underrated managers around especially he's very shrewd at sort of stopping an opposition from playing um the way he sort of bamboozled Eric Ten Hag for the first first thirty minutes at Old Trafford last weekend, but then suppose people would argue that's not that hard to bamboozle <laughs> Ten Hag and for, for even for thirty minutes. But yeah, I thought, I thought they were really good actually in that in in that game. Um, 
and I, I would lean towards them here. I think I think I think they're a fair price to beat Brighton, who I've been really disappointed with actually over the past sort of three months or so. Covered a lot of their games at the Amex last season and watching them up close and seeing Deserby's football sort of flourishing and um, which took them to Europe. That, they were posting some ridiculous uh, expected goals for numbers and it was su- there was such an excitement around. Um, and I, th- I thought even though they lost the the two big players in the in the summer, McAllister and Caicedo, I think they would, I thought they were going to kick on again and just because of the manager and the way that the way that he plays. But they've sort of flattered to deceive and my Brighton to make the top four punt at the start of the season looks in in the bin now. And since beating Bournemouth in September, their goals per game, expected goals, shots and big chances created have really plummeted, um, especially compared to where they were um, last season. I just think last night as well, slipped under the radar, but that was a really disappointing result at Wolves. I mean, he's put a lot of emphasis on cup competitions this season, I think, the Zerbi. I think he's been prioritising them. And yes, they've got the Europa League still. Um, and I think that the, the way that he's prior, prioritised um, cup matches is seen um, through a bit of evidence we've got through their results the next game after a, a cup match. So they played, uh, the last eight times they played a Premier League game after a cup match, they failed to win any of them. Um, and that includes the home game with Sheffield United, this reverse fixture, which ended one all at the Amex. And they've also been hammered 4-0 at Luton and 6-1 at Villa um, after a, a, cup, a cup match, whether that would be the FA Cup or the um, Europa League. And I think I think they're um, very vulnerable, actually, against uh, uh, Fulham. Um, it looks like Silva's found his new Alexander Mitrovic, Mitrovic sorry, in the um, in the, the way that he's Manise. played in Manise. Yeah. Yes, he's um, been really impressive leading the line. Uh, very strong, athletic, really good in the air, actually, which surprised me just looking at his um, data this morning. He's won um, over five aerial duels per 90 minutes, which is only second to Calvert-Lewin of all Premier League players. We know it's over a smaller sample size, but there's positive signs there. And he scored four in four um, in his last few matches and looks looks a, a natural finisher, actually. And his non-penalty XG is 0.55, which is up there with the likes of Solanke and um, Darwin Nunes. So again, it's small sample size, but there's really positive side signs that they've found someone that can uh, lead their line. I think that's really important for the way that, that Fulham plays to have some up there, someone up there that can hold the ball and and um, and bring others into into the play. Um, but his shot is his shots on target price has uh, got me interested uh, this weekend. Um, he's had nine in his last um, five appearances. So if you head to the bet builder and combine both angles, so Fulham on the double chance, so to avoid defeat and add um, Muniz to have a shot on target, you're actually conjuring up an 11 to 10 shot and I'm surprised that's odds against. So yeah, that's the way uh, I'll be playing uh, that one. And Muniz, of course, doing well means that Armando Broyer, Broyer, Broyer can actually work out what his bloody name is. Uh, Mark, so uh, we've had Emmett go for leaning towards Brighton. We've had Lewis leaning towards Fulham. Where does that leave you? Yeah, sorry, Emmett. I'm uh, I'm on the Fulham bus here. Um, slightly surprised that they're considered outsiders. In all honesty, I know it's driven largely by the data, and and Fulham's overall data doesn't look great. They're in the bottom six in terms of my ratings for expected points. But if you sort of decipher it by home and away, um, Fulham are actually up in mid table. Um, Brighton is still a top eight team away from home in my ratings, but even still, 
Fulham are, are much kind of closer to, to where they are in the league table. If you look at the the home ratings, um, I've got them returning a, a plus 0.18 expected goals supremacy per game at home. OK, it's very marginal, but still it's positive operating around a 53 percent XG ratio. And Brighton away from home are actually operating off a, a minus 0.18 XG per game supremacy, um, which is 49 percent XG ratio. So already there's a, a sort of tip in the balance in Fulham's favour there now. Um, you know, I think it's fair to to see Brighton as the stronger suit, but I just think with the injuries, I'm happy to oppose them as away favourites at the cottage. No Misoma, no March, no Jao Pedro, Gilmore, Milner, Milner unavailable in midweek. There was big big question marks over the availability and fitness of Ferguson, Veltman, and Welbeck. Hinshelwood's out as well, so nine potential players they're missing, including probably two or three of your best players of what as well. Um, just and they won't put needle. Jason Steele up front, judging by how he did in <laughs> midweek. Yeah, I mean, it, it just points the needle closer to Fulham for me. And yes, I've eulogised about João Paulinha for, for quite some time on this podcast about his importance. But they coped with him at Old Trafford last week and deservedly picked up their first away league win since the opening weekend. So, you know, now back at HQ where they've been really rock solid under Silva, um, seven wins from 13 at the Cottage this season. I thought they competed really well with Aston Villa in their last game here at home. Lost 2-1, but you know Villa was slightly more clinical and ruthless on the day, but they went toe-to-toe with Villa. So if they can do that, then there's no reason why they can't do similar against a, a patched-up Brighton. You've got Bassi and Adarabayo back. You've got Muniz, as you guys have been talking about, who's contributing plenty as well um, with Raul Jimenez injured. So I just like them. There's, there's flexibility about them. They, they can cause uh, threats on a counter-attack. They've got set-piece ability too. Um, we saw last week as well, Traore, he's back from injury, uh, terrorising teams off the bench um, with his pace and power too. So, you know, I do like Brighton. Uh, I'm not as down on them as many people have been this season. Um, largely, there has been regression, obviously, but they have been focusing a lot of energy into the Europa League, which has been quite a historic run for them. And what a run of away games for, for Brighton supporters too, with, with now Roma lined up in the knockout stages. But um, yeah, uh, two away league wins since August at Forest and Sheffield United for Brighton. So I'm happy to oppose them as favourites here. You can get Fulham plus zero on the Asian handicap at 2-0-4 on the exchange. And to be against Klopp in the final, imagine that. That would be quite something. Uh, Everton got a boost this week. Saw their points deduction cut from 10 points to six, but they're still in trouble. Just five points above the drop zone as they face West Ham in the David Moyes Super Classico. Uh, Lewis, Everton's performance levels do seem to have dropped. So this successful appeal, partially successful appeal, does seem to have come at the right time. Yeah, you're always looking for sort of marginal gains, aren't you, in this in this in this game? And I do think that the extra points being added back on is going to make a a big uh, an effect on the atmosphere at Goodison Park on um, Saturday. There was always, there was a feeling that the ten points seemed a bit excessive, didn't it? And there's of course there's the issue of the second uh, verdict on the horizon too that's affecting Nottingham Forest. But I do think it's twenty those... points. Oh, yeah, no. I know. <laughs> it's an absolute minefield to try and plough your way through now as, as a as a as a punter or analyst analyst and an analyst, isn't it? So it's um yeah, it's 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 really difficult to see how West Ham actually get a foothold in this match, just looking at the key strengths and weaknesses of each team. So yeah, I wouldn't put anyone off the Everton home win around even even money. And those those strengths and weaknesses revolve around creating chances from set pieces and and crosses. So Everton are one of the best teams in the Premier League at creating chances from aerial balls into the box. And very surprisingly for 
for a David Moyes team, West Ham were actually one of the weakest at defending such scenarios this season. So so they've... confusing. I mean, like if anybody had said that to me at the start of the season that West Ham are going to suck at defending set plays, I'd have found that really odd. Yeah, they've conceded the second most headed shots, 71 this season, and they've conceded the most open play crosses, so successful crosses that have gone into their box. And that's 11 more than any other team. And that includes Sheffield United, who I think have conceded 16 goals from, from crosses. So it's a real it's a real weakness in this West Ham team. And it's I, I'm not really sure how to explain it. It's Maybe it's a lack of desire and a lack of um, organisation at the heart of the defence. But they looked so shaky in that 6-0 defeat to Arsenal, didn't they, from balls into their box. And Brentford on Monday night really should have put them under pressure from aerial balls like they normally do much earlier than they than they did. It was only in the in, in injury time when they realised that West Ham can't defend their box very well from from aerial um, deliveries, and they could have scored three goals in injury time. And West Ham were four one up, and they nearly threw it away. So yeah, I've got got real trust issues with West Ham still in terms of consistency. And obviously they've got a big game in Freiburg, haven't they, on Thursday, which they might have um, what one eye on. And just to to, to flip that weakness to a, to a, to Everton's strength. Um, West Ham are now facing the team with the second most headed shots and the second most successful crosses in the Premier League. It's very much the um, Sean Dyche way and he's going to target um, West Ham's weaknesses, I'm absolutely certain. Um, but remarkably, Everton have only scored five headed goals this season, um, which is actually the 16th worst record of that metric in the league. And that really sort of took me back and it, it felt too low to be true. I thought I might have run the numbers wrong or something. But so I did, it, it, is, it is true and I dug, dug a little deeper and their expected goals from headers are actually 9.44. So that's a huge underperformance of nearly four and a half goals. And that's sort of massive when it's only over 26. We only only, only played 26 games this season. So it's a really, it's a really huge underperformance. And I think that number will sort of rectify itself over the next few months, as long as Everton keep playing with the same style. And this, this with just the argument I've made there about West Ham's um, vulnerability from crosses, this brings Dominic Calvert-Lewin into the equation to score a header, which is 11 to two uh, with the sports book. Um, and a headed goal just simply must be coming for Calvert-Lewin, who is probably single-handedly responsible for that XG underperformance. Um, here's, here's, a, here's one for you, Kev. How many days has it been since Calvert-Lewin scored a header in the Premier League? So this is a player that scored 19 headed goals since his debut in 2016. And only Chris Wood and Harry Kane have scored more in that period. How long is it? How many days has it been since he scored a header? Oh, well, until this season, he was always injured. 450 days. Higher. Really? 600 days. Higher. Oh, wow. 800 days. Oh, lower. 650 days it's been since Calvert Lewin wow. scored a header in the Premier League. Or that's amazing. 56 million seconds, if that's the way you want to go. <laughs> um, and that, that came in Everton's. 56 million uh, and one, 56 million and two. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that came in Everton's 3 2 win over Palace in May 20. 22s and since since then he's had 35 headed shots with a com- combined xg of 4.49 but somehow has has failed to score so the chances are falling his way especially recently as well he's had 11 headed shots in his last five games and i'm not sure if you remember he was really unfortunate not actually to get a headed goal against tottenham a few weeks back when it went down as a jack harrison um goal it sort of dropped in a six yard box he got his head to it but harrison got the final touch um I just think one is one is absolutely due, and I'll, I'll be backing in to score headers against teams that are vulnerable from crosses over the next few weeks. And this looks the perfect opportunity to um, to do that against against West Ham. And obviously, Calvert Lewin scored 
the winner earlier this season against West Ham. So, yeah, combining both those angles, an Everton win and a Calvert-Lewin headed goal were my angles for this one. Lovely stuff. Let's head to West London Derby. Lewis was just mentioning them there. Brentford having a pretty tough season, truth be told. Emmett, they take on a Chelsea team that didn't look that impressive against Leeds in midweek. Had to really dig that one out. Conor Gallagher scored late on uh, to give them the win. This feels like it might be an opportunity for Brentford. Yeah, I have my main point here. I've just I've zero faith in kind of either defense here. Like I think like last season, just to show you how much Brentford's kind of defensive numbers have declined. Last season they conceded forty six goals in in thirty eight games. This season they've conceded forty eight goals already, and we've a third of the season to go. Like and as and obviously part of that is unfortunately. Um, Ireland's Nathan Collins having a really bad season. I think I've heard recently he's one of the highest kind of errors leading to goal stats in the Premier League. So I think he hasn't kind of lived up to his price tag, which is unusual for Brentford, who generally when they spend over 20, 20 million on a player, it, it, it usually hits. Um, but also part of that is because Mark Flecken has been nowhere near, nowhere near as good as as, uh, as David Rye was them last season. Like Flecken's down there with um, Matt Turner in the kind of worst. Oh, yeah, that's We're, not where you want to be. No, you don't want to be down with Matt. He did in the kind of worst post shot XG kind of goal uh, goalkeeping advanced stats. Like if yeah, Flecken and, and Turner have the worst numbers there. So I think it's this kind of combination of and, and whereas last season Raya was in was kind of was, was fourth in in, in in the Premier League in that statistic, which obviously was one of the reasons that Arsenal Arsenal signed him. So I think you've kind of declined in that kind of maybe defensive solidity and kind of quality at centre back and and. And the goalkeepers is, is why you're seeing those the kind of poor defensive defensive numbers for, for Brentford and Chelsea, as you said, could easily have been knocked out by what was an understrength lead side. Like obviously, Rooter didn't play, Somerville on the bench, Nanto not not Nanto coming off the bench. So it was like the fact that they struggled so badly against that Leeds time. Leeds was a huge red flag to me. I just watched them in recent weeks against. Um, in, in the cup final against Man City, they look vulnerable aerially. Like Cody Gakpo, the header that hit the post in in the, in the cup final. Haaland had a lot of headed chances which he missed um, at the Etihad as well. So I just I think that's an area where where where, 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 where Brent, Brentford will kind of cert, certainly be targeting. Um, and I just I, I wasn't why I, 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 I did lean Brentford at the match prices. The angle I'm more confident in is. It is Ivan Tony. I think Tony has shown zero rust since since his return from for, for, from the ban. Like he's four goals in seven matches, but I think those stats would be even better if he hadn't played Man City twice in those yeah. in, in those seven games. Like in the man in the Man City matches, he didn't have a shot on target in either of the matches. But in so the, but in the five kind of non Man City games, he's had twelve shots on target and and, and, and four goals scored. He, to me, looks razor sharp. I think that 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 I think Chelsea. Chelsea are extremely defensively vulnerable here. I, 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 I like him to score any time at around 11 to 10. And I wouldn't put anyone off taking a bigger swing at him to score two plus at, at 13 to 2. Luton were steamrolled by Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne in midweek in the FA Cup, but their clash with Aston Villa, surely more important. Mark, as we've said throughout the series, really, uh, throughout the series, throughout the season, I should say. Uh, we're not doing box sets just yet. Uh, Luton have generally competed pretty well at home against the big hitters. Yeah, they have. Um, probably sound like a broken record to say the same old stuff about Luton, but I think you know as a visiting team now that you're going to be in for a really good competitive game. And I'm not really bothered by what happened in midweek. Luton's priorities are clearly 
Premier League survival. Um, so that match, you know, can just go out of the window, really. And Robert did defend like his... boneheads, though. I mean, it was just mad. Like, yeah, letting yeah. him run in, but I know it's Harlan, so it's not, what can you do? But he just ran in behind time and time and time again. Yeah, I mean, Rod, Rob Edwards, his kind of, <laughs> his, his response was, well, you know, we do take a, a bold approach at times and sometimes we can be a little bit too aggressive. Um, yeah, there's a, there's aggression and then there's just being silly, really, with your defensive structure. But um, yeah, City exposed them. Um, I think there'll be much kind of more sort of uh, the Luton, the formidable Luton we've seen in many of the other games, really. Um, you know, I, I think Luton have been a credit to themselves. They've played way above most pre-season expectations or, or where people have. I mean, most people were suggesting they could be a record points low um, after they won promotion, which was really disrespectful, really. Um, they are a, a very together team. They are very difficult to to open up at times and especially at Kenilworth Road with the, the crowd so tight to you. So, um, yeah, I feel I can give Aston Villa a really good game this weekend, um, as they tend to do. Bizarrely, Sheffield United are the only visitors to Luton to come away with a victory by more than a one-goal margin this season. Um, so, yeah, I suspect Luton will be competitive, aggressive again, and they will make Aston Villa work extremely hard for anything here. So, you know, if Villa have designs on winning this fixture, I believe they'll probably have to score at least two goals to win it because we've talked about it many, many times. Luton's hit rate in scoring in matches is absolutely fantastic for a promoted club. They've scored in 21 of 25 league games. 19 of those fixtures have actually paid out for both teams to score backers. At Kenilworth Road, they've scored in 12 of 13, and 10 of those 13 have seen BTTS oblige. They're now hosting uh, a Villa side chasing top four, but a Villa side who have recorded just six clean sheets themselves in 26. So I think BTTS has to be kind of strongly considered here. Villa have scored in 23 of 26. They've scored twice or more in seven of 13 away. Now, the market is already pretty hot on BTTS, as it normally is now across the Premier League. The Premier League is, is outscoring the Bundesliga this season, 3.23 goals per game. Uh, Overs is hitting it around about 65%, BTTS at 62%, over three and a half goals, around about 42% as well. It is the league for goals at the minute. So I do like both it's teams to score all those Farmers League defences, Mark. That's what it is. Isn't that <laughs> yes. what we say? That's what, what people have to say, say about the Bundesliga, Bundesliga. Oh, Farmers yeah. League defences. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so um, I like both teams to score, but it's obviously unbackable at the at the price. So I'm just going to go down the, the the trick I've done in recent games, Luton fixtures, which is just to back both teams to be booked as well. And it will boost the price up to about 1.8. Um, 12 of Luton's 13 home games have seen both teams booked. Uh, Villa have been booked in 11 of 13 away. They've also drawn a card from 11 of their 13 hosts this season and uh, Michael Oliver is refereeing he's given at least three cards in 15 of 17 Premier League appearances this season so I think it's a, a nice boost just to back both teams to be booked obviously there's a lot to play for on both sides um, or the coin here Luton for survival Villa for top four so um, yeah expecting a, a good enjoyable entertaining game with a bit of violence thrown in too lovely stuff uh, Lewis uh, Leon Bailey's fan consistency which I think is the third sign of the apocalypse um, we've had Ollie Watkins doing really well, Douglas Louise. When they're good, they're really good, aren't they, Villa? Yeah, I covered their game last weekend, actually, against uh, Nottingham Forest. And those, the two that you mentioned there, Watkins and Bailey, were exceptional. Their link-up play just is just in sync at the moment. They just they seem on the, on the same wavelength. They're very, it's a very dangerous combination, those two. And I completely agree with Mark, actually, about um, this game has just got goals written all over it. But the price is... Again, as Mark said, the Premier League at the moment record um, average goals. So you can't really make a case to back just the 
the overs or the, the both teams to score both it's, it's just unbackable at the moment those prices so we have to get a little bit sort of clever with the way that we approach these markets and I think I've found a found a way in in the the Villa player um, goals and assist market so Luton's man for man style is seriously good to watch but it as as you referenced there with Harland and De Bruyne it leaves them so exposed against dangerous players that relish sort of one on one situations and that is exactly what Leon Bailey absolutely thrives on, doesn't he? And his yeah. his price this weekend of evens to score or assist, um, I think is 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 the angle to to really um consider. Um he's he's gone a little bit under the radar this season, hasn't he, to a certain certain extent with the way Ollie Watkins has grabbed most of the the, the plaudits. But Bailey is actually working at a higher uh, per ninety goal contribution ratio than Watkins. So He's he's got 15 goals or assists in only 13 starts, so that's 1.07 wow. um, um, per 90 for goal contributions, which is um, pretty insane actually. When um, you think about it, if he continues at that record, we're talking sort of um, Mo Salah and Erling Haaland sort of numbers. So, um, and they're the two players that are only averaging more per 90 at the moment, um, and those numbers put him amongst um, the elite. But he's not being priced up like it at the moment, and especially against a Luton team that will offer him so much space as I realised in those one-on-one situations. And I think they're going to be missing uh, Amari Bell, who is one of their standout defenders on the the left-hand side. So Rob Edwards is going to have to uh, reshuffle the back line. Um, And it's a very tricky style of football to come into if you're not used to playing it, I think. So in those one-on-one duels. So I I do think Bailey's going to be a key man um, this weekend. And when you consider Salah this weekend is four to seven to score assist and Haaland is four to 11 to score an assist, I think it makes that Bailey price of evens across in the same market. Um, very attractive to me. And I'll be back in that along with him to score twice at 14 to one. And also you might as well have a little bit on the hundred to one for him to score a hat trick, I think as well. I mean, what could be a really exciting goal heavy game. Wonderful. Don't get many hundreds of one shots, but there we go. That sounds uh, very attractive indeed. Wolves, as you've mentioned, absolutely flying. They're above Newcastle. In the standings as the two sides meet this weekend. Emmett, I know this podcast is turning a bit into the Gary O'Neill Appreciation Society, um, but he's a nice chap. I've worked with him in the commentary box. Lovely fella. Um, it's fair enough, though, isn't it, really? It is. I, I again, you, If you'd said to me at the start of the season that uh, Newcastle would be close to even money at home to Wolves and I'd fancy Wolves, I, 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 I would have been pretty shocked. But I think that just probably shows how far, obviously, Wolves have come, but how much Newcastle have declined. Like, I've watched them in recent weeks. I think something seems broken with this team. And the way they're playing at the moment, I think Eddie Howe might be gone at the end of the season. I think it's that bad. Like, well, they're openly, they're openly briefing, aren't they? But Nagel's a man I saw linked this week. Yeah. Seen other coaches linked. Doesn't feel like a club that's going to... Hold no. on to its manager beyond the summer, does it really? No, but I think it's one of these what that Spanish expression, like the, the players are making making their bed, making the bed for how like the the play it's the players' performances that are gonna get him sacked. Yeah. And like no not having a shot in the first half against Arsenal. And just even obviously like just 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 since Christmas they've conceded twenty two goal twenty two expected goals and eighteen goals in eight matches. Like obviously part of that is due to kind of one sided beatdowns um, away to Liverpool and away to Arsenal. But if you even take taking out those games, they conceded two goals at home to Bournemouth, two goals away at Forest, four goals at home to Luton. Like that defensive solidity that that that, that they had last season was and was at the kind of the heart of their success has has completely gone. 
um, like again, like, like again, I, I couldn't believe this when I saw this. But it, like Martin Dubravka, on a per ninety minutes basis, has he, he, by, by post shots, she has the best shot stopping stats in the league. So Dubravka is playing brilliantly, and they're still leaking goals at, at a kind of an incredible rate. So I, I just think this. All, all signs point to, point to Newcastle just being kind of a, a, a team really on really on the slide. I just think the way, but, New, but, it's, but having said that, this again, Newcastle kind of need to win. And I can just see them without having pushing forward. Wolves are ideally suited to playing playing the counter attack with Neto, Wang, and just we've seen some of their away performances, like in in, in recent months, they've won at Chelsea, won at Tottenham, drawn at Brighton in a game they had the better of. I just think this this game sets up sets up perfectly for Wolves, and I can see them sitting deep, hitting Newcastle a break, and, and at least getting a result. So I like them. I like them winner draw double chance at around even money here. Yeah, Neto, I think, has been brilliant when I, when I've seen him this season. I think he's terrific player on the counter. I'd be amazed if he's not playing for a Champions League club um, in the near future. Mark, let's take it to the Bundesliga. I'll try not to steal all your stuff this time. Borkum against Leipzig. Um, Borkum, of course, Leipzig. A few problems in recent meetings. They have, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if they cause Leipzig more problems this weekend. Um, the pressure is on Leipzig after losing late on against Bayern last weekend. They're still outside of the top four. Uh, Dortmund losing on the Sunday uh, has given them just a you know, just a one-point deficit between themselves and the top four. But um, they're going to Real Madrid next midweek in, in what is a big Champions League tie. So they may, they may not have an eye on that particular fixture, but even if they are fully focused on the task in hand of going away to Bochum and getting a result. I think they're in for a a difficult task because um, many big boys have suffered at Bochum in, in recent seasons. Um, they are, for me, the, the sort of perfect Jekyll and Hyde side in the Bundesliga. You can kind of see similarities, parallels with Nottingham Forest last season um, under Steve Cooper. And in, in fact, they're hugely competitive and competent at home, but um, they often unravel away from home. And you know, that's epitomised by the fact they've lost just once at home this season. They've also won just once when playing away from home. So the Real Stadion... useless um... last weekend at Gladbach. They made Gladbach, <laughs> who are a really poor team, look like 1970s Brazil. It was utterly absurd. And the week before, they beat Bayern Munich and scored three yes. goals at home. So that's that's Bochum in a nutshell, really. Um, the Real Stadion... I've seen it described as a, a chocolate box in, by people before. It's it's quite an understated little fortress that they've got there in, in Bochum. Um, I think they command respect whenever they play at home, but especially whenever they, they play a big boy. So in 2024 already, they've beaten Bayern and they've beaten Stuttgart at home, two top four teams. Already this season, they've held Dortmund and Frankfurt. Last season, they held Dortmund. They beat Leverkusen, Frankfurt, Union and RB Leipzig. And for me, it's just a, a bit of a graveyard for for the big fish when they come here. You know, I see them kind of priced up at odds on quotes. You know, Leipzig this weekend, uh, what, 1.7 or so to, to go away to Bochum and win? Ridiculous. I run a mile Ridiculous. from those kind of prices. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Leipzig's last seven away Bundesliga matches read one win, two draws, four defeats. They've stuttered at some sort of pretty poor teams during that seven-game sample, which goes back to about October time. So, yeah, I run a mile from 171 quotes on, on Leipzig. There's two ways to play this, which I will be playing. One is which to back Bochum, plus one, on the Asian handicap at 1.8. Um, since the start of last season, they've lost just six of 28 home league games by a margin of two goals or more. Leipzig, under Marco Rosa, have won by a margin of two goals or more just six times in 25 away Bundesliga matches. 
But I'm also going to have a little bit on Bochum to win the game at 5.1 on the exchange. That's just a bit too big for a side who have history of upsetting the odds consistently when the big boys come to town. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a feature so revered that Timothée Chalamet has been skipping interviews to promote June Part 2 just to listen to the dulcet tones of our tipsters. And if you're at home saying, it's Timothy, it's not Timothée, he's crazy, he's not done the most basic research, it's French. Timote, he has said it himself. So make sure uh, you can do that research yourself if you want. How this works is each of the three guys uh, come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and lovely traders like Emmett here uh, boost it for you in a treble. I'm going to start with you, Emmett. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to seeing uh, Timote and myself on Friday evening. I thought that doing one was outstanding and right, Denny Villeneuve was one of the best one of the best directors around. So really looking forward to that. Let's confuse Mark. No end that sentence, but there we go. But back to the matter at hand, I, for the reasons already given, I like Wolves winner draw double chance to start us off. Lovely stuff. Mark? Uh, I'll stay in the Premier League then and put BTTS at Luton up as the second leg. And Lewis, take us home. Oh, does that mean we can't add Bailey to score or assist in the same bet then? So I have to go elsewhere. Uh, what's what's, the, tra- to, what's yeah. the trade I'll to say? I'll change. I can change. Um, I'll go St Mirren double chance at home to Aberdeen. More details to come. <laughs> oh, that's yes, very, ki- very, kind, very kind of you, Mark. QPR fans, we stick together, don't we? Um <laughs> Yeah, Bailey to score an assist for me. That's a, I think that's a huge price against Luton. Sensational. Well, he's trailed it already. It's Marco Hayes, Scott Watch. Oh, aye. It's Scott Watch. Mark, take it away. Yeah, going to oppose Neil Warnock's. Aberdeen this weekend. Um, always got <laughs> what to... a bizarre sentence that is. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not going well for, for Warnock. Um, start with St Mirren. They picked up a, a useful point on Tuesday night against Ross County to stay in the top six. They've got a nice little cushion in the top six. They finished in the top six last season, so they're not exactly overachieving really. And they're back at uh, St Mirren Park this weekend. They have the rest advantage over Aberdeen, who have to come to St Mirren on Saturday. Um, now, St Mirren have lost just four times in 14 home league games this season, but three of those defeats came against the Old Firm pair and the other defeat came against Kilmarnock, who are having a brilliant campaign up in the top four. So St Mirren have always been a very tough nut to crack at home. Uh, if you look at their clean sheet record this season at St Mirren Park, clean sheets in seven of 14 league fixtures, which is the same tally as Celtic at Parkhead and Rangers at Ibrox. Now, if you exclude the Old Firm, it's seven clean sheets from 11 home league games. And last season, they only lost five league games in 19. So it's actually four defeats in 26 home matches now when you exclude the old firm. And just surprised that they're around about 2.4 to win the game against Aberdeen. You can get them on side at 1.8. St Mirren draw no bet or St Mirren plus zero on the Asian handicap. Um, As I say, Aberdeen are struggling. They have been all season, just six league wins all season. Only one since Christmas, seven defeats in 13 away games. Only three premiership clean sheets since the opening day. Um, they're in a bit of a mess and the early signs suggest Neil Warnock hasn't been able to make a major difference whatsoever. Beaten at home by St Johnston on Wednesday night, which is kind of unforgivable, really. They were nilled in that game, conceded two goals. <laughs> scored... Here he goes again <laughs> with the old no, nilling. I thought we got through a whole show without any nilling, but there we go. Tried, tried to slip it in discreetly. Um, yeah, they're conceding goals. They're, they're a complete rabble at the minute and uh, easily, easily opposed 
away at a really difficult game for St Mirren. Warnock admitted on Wednesday night, Aberdeen are in a relegation battle. I think they're four points above the, the playoff place. And um, he was brought in to steady the ship and perhaps look towards the top six. And it's going completely the opposite direction at the minute. So concerning signs for the dandies. But um, yeah, Culture Corner, we've, we've covered both of these two teams previously. However, quite appalled of myself, really, that I missed one of the, the kind of greatest ever Scottish football stories when doing a deep dive into St Mirren. So thankfully, I've got an opportunity to right that wrong. Um, I'm not too sure if you've heard this tale before or not. It's completely true. Uh, I'll try and surmise it as, as best as I can, really. But um, back in 2009, uh, a little-known footballer called Riyad Mahrez joined St Mirren on a two-month trial. He had yet to start his professional career. Uh, his agent organised a trial with St Mirren. He was plumped into the, the reserves. Um, his agent paid for his ticket, uh, train uh, flight ticket. Um, he went away with uh, another guy from the northern Paris suburbs he's from. Um, and it went well, according to Mahrez. He played in four friendlies. He scored seven goals. In his words, he killed them. Um, but he wasn't too happy because St Mirren made him wait and wait and wait for a contract and he grew increasingly frustrated so much so that the the winter had set in in Scotland and the cold uh, was really beginning to bite so basically one day he left all of his football gear behind borrowed a bike from the hotel sneaked out of his hotel and effectively escaped uh, he went <laughs> AWOL uh, rang his agent who managed to arrange a flight home out of Glasgow he didn't tell anyone at St Mirren he just vanished basically and uh, yeah the quotes from Mares are pretty amazing really he said he'd had enough it drove him crazy. Scotland, the cold was so bad. It was like abuse. It was snowing. It was everything you could imagine. And worse, I was so cold that one day I faked an injury to go to the locker room. It was physical. It was freezing. We trained in the snow. I felt I was progressing, but I wasn't allowed to sign a permanent deal. A few days later, my agent said, all right, I'll sort you away home. So I took a bus right away, got off at Glasgow station, took the train to the airport and flew home to Paris. I didn't speak English. I left my boots at the training ground. I borrowed a bike from a guy at a hotel. I took my football trainers uh, and a bag I had at the hotel and left everything else behind. Not even the lady at the hotel at reception knew I was leaving. I went via a staircase. And uh, yeah, so he eventually got home, signed for La Havre after a spell with an amateur team before joining Leicester for 400,000 in 2014. And the rest, as they say, is history. So unlucky St Mirren. Yeah, not a tale for the local, local tourist board to enjoy that one. Uh, Riyad Mahrez is so desperate to get out of there. He uh, enacted something you might see in a Hollywood movie. Lovely stuff. And that's sadly all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. We've got the Sunday show coming up, Manchester Derby, very much our focus in that. Our Champions League previews will be back on Monday. Remember, all of our shows are on Betfair's uh, new YouTube channel for non-racing content, so make sure you like and subscribe. Loads of good Cheltenham Festival previews. Uh, on our website, betting.betfair.com. And we've also got Cheltenham Only Better as part of our podcast network from Lewis, from Emmett, from Mark, and from me. It's goodbye for now.